Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the founder of Reincubate, the studio behind the excellent webcam app Camo, Aiden Fitzpatrick. Aiden, welcome to the show. Charlie, it's lovely to be talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm. we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but you're one of those people that I've seen and heard your voice a lot um, because, <laughs> well, one, you have a, a webcam app, so obviously that lends itself well to uh, to videos. But you you all seem to do a lot of like video documentation kind of stuff. And so I feel like I'm already like familiar with you. Like there's already a, a conversation that we've had before, but this is actually your first time, I think, talking, unless we've met at a virtual WWDC before. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we, we've, of course, been in each other's DMs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we've spoken. So before uh, we get into camo, I'd like to give everybody a background on who you are. So the three questions I always ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like leading up to camo? And I guess this would include reincubate then. Sure thing. Um, yeah, so I was, uh, I was born in Belgium. Uh, I was raised uh, partly in New Zealand uh, and then uh, in the countryside in the UK. And I'm now based in London. Uh, so all over a little bit, but I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I've got as good a claim to Britishness as, as maybe to anything else. So I, I tend to run with that. <laughs> um, and no, I, I don't have formal training. I was very into software engineering. I got bitten by the bug writing code when I was about 13. And, uh, my, you know, mum really wanted me to go to university, go to college, study software engineering. As they do. Uh, and I knew. Yeah, yeah. I knew I did not want to do computer science. No interest in computer science. It's software engineering, right? I had that. But the distinction was important for me. Um, but yeah, I applied, um, deferred going and got a job for an American tech company. And sort of that was that. Was that. that was the first dot-com boom. I was kind of sucked into it. Uh, and it was uh, yeah. not really any looking back from, from, from that point. Yeah. How? So, okay. So that was this flurry of excitement and insanity um maybe mirroring mirroring some excitement and insanity happening right now uh <laughs> where there was just weird chaos and also just extreme excitement about everything yeah how, how was it whenever that all deflated oh well i, I mean it, it was such a time i mean i possibly shouldn't have got the job that i got because i i guess i got that job when i was barely 18 i think i'd only just turned 18 and I was hired to work at CNET, uh, who were oh, wow. sort of, they were ZDNet at the time. And I, I, I joined them. They had been, um, an American chap there had been sent to head up Europe and sort of been given unlimited resources. And I, I don't think he sort of, you know, he knew I'd been to college. And of course, college in the UK is, is not what you call college in the US. Uh, and, and so I think possibly he hired me without a full grasp of the fact that I was barely <laughs> 18. Um, but nevertheless, taking advantage of the, uh, <laughs> ignorant American, uh, understanding well, of the uh, UK, uh, school system. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I only realized this in hindsight, you know, I was, I was not at all worldly, uh, at, at this point, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been, you know, writing a lot of code in my bedroom. But, it, you know, it was a huge opportunity. And I, I suppose, you know, it, it was really about building rather than making money. And so I, I saw the up where I got to work with these incredible people who are 
all very kind to me and shared a lot of time with me. And I got very good at making cups of tea. <laughs> that that was, and, and for a large part of my career until we went remote, a big part of what I do, make people cups of tea. Um, but yeah, I mean, as it, as it declined, we had a very big office, um, you know, which the company had signed a practically infinitely long lease on. So we had sort of football fields worth of space and we played cricket and football uh, and a variation of tennis. You know, we'd play cricket with, um, you know, those rack mount kits that you'd put on servers. We'd be, we'd be hitting a foam ball with them. We kind of oh improvised with, with all this tech stuff. So this is like a huge office assuming uh, a never-ending growth at the same trajectory as the, exactly. the height of the bubble. And then that didn't come. Well, it's the internet, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> it's the internet. The internet's going to be big. You, the, the money will come. Just build it. Just, just hire a bunch of really, you know, technical guys, put them in a room, get them to build some stuff. And it, it's all going to sort itself out. That was, that was the attitude. Um, it, it didn't entirely. Uh, but yeah, so it, I think that sort of served me well as it declined because I was inexpensive. I think I was very inexpensive right. compared, yeah. to, compared to just about everyone else. Um, so, you, you know, there are a lot of rounds of layoffs. I think there were five in 2001, maybe. Um, and I essentially survived and that that left me sort of last man standing with a lot of responsibility. And I, I ended up coming to manage teams of engineers. You know, they, they tend to promote you past your point of competence. Uh, yeah, and I had exactly. quite a low point of competence, so we, we hit that quite soon. But that was, yeah, it was, it was good fun. It, it was just a real kind of, uh, very early on in my career, I got to see what it's like just to build tech for the love of it, which I relate to. And then I got to see, okay, but what if you want this to make money? What does what does that look like, and and how do you how do you get there? Yeah, it sounds like you got I mean management experience and uh, a bunch of things that probably were pretty important uh, for you later on, but very early. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I mean that wasn't uh, without being awkward. You know, at one point I was nineteen, sure. and I I you know. <laughs> I think I had about 20, 25 people working for me. And, um, you, you know, yeah, that was, that was difficult. I got, I got about as much wrong as you possibly could get wrong, I would say. <laughs> um, but, but I meant well. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good, uh, good place to learn it, I guess, is early on. Uh, so, okay, so you were working there and then that was after the bubble declined. And then what, what's the string that takes you from manager uh, at a post.com bubble tech company to founding your own, uh, I guess, app studio. I don't know if that's what you would have called it then, but reincubate basically. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was startups. And even, even before I was there, I had got involved with a few startups, again, as a sort of a very naive teenager working out of someone's house, you know, trying to hack together some, some Java code or some, uh, some uh, what was it, some, some Visual C++ or something like that. Uh, after seeing it, I ended up with a with a startup in Norway, and we were supplying uh, world music to the beginning of the iTunes Store in in two thousand three. So, so we were trying. Oh, to, interesting. You know, independent musicians or labels would have this content, and it's like, well, okay, if you're not a big record label, how do you make it available around the world? And the answer is, well, well, the answer then was, hey, you you probably want to get it in Microsoft Music and. Uh, Real Networks had a service and, and there was a brief period where Napster went legit and were, you know, 
pulling that music in and, and there was iTunes and and so I was working with Apple at, at that point uh, you know to get them this content and it was all it, it's interesting to have had that experience now because at the time on their side I think there was a lot of web objects and possibly some J2EE I'm pretty sure in uh, Apple Music as it's called now a lot of that's still there probably the exact same code it seems like I bet <laughs> I bet but but, but I, I remember just how surprised the people at Apple were when the imports worked like they hadn't they, <laughs> they had no confidence <laughs> in the IT you know I mean that was only two years after it sort of came, came into existence but uh, I think they had a rough time with that um and so i was you know i i was writing a lot of uh net and java code then for this thing uh and then i went from there uh to another startup which which went uh very very big and was a huge amount of fun uh but i kind of you know, I, I, I guess I kind of burnt out. You, you know, I was on this journey with startups and I had experience helping them raise money. I had experience uh, selling the businesses with them. And I, I tended to sort of be the CTO or, a, you know, a technical co-founder or something like that. Right. And, and I just really loved working with founders um, because they always seem to be into making products. And that's really what I am. I'm a maker. I love to make stuff. I'm not motivated by any of that kind of tech bro stuff or venture bro around making a lot of money or doing a big raise. I want to make stuff that users love. That's that's kind of what I'm about. And and so- Your identity is wrapped up in, in the products more than the uh, business making, I guess, or the success of the- um, how big you can grow a thing or whatever. Absolutely. So I, I, I you know, I, I sat down and I thought about, well, what, how do I want to work and what sort of environment do I want to work in? And I kind of thought, well, look, I, I, I love it when things just work. I, I love that feeling of a well-made product that is just, just fundamentally sound. And I love delighting users. I like it when I see people using something that I've created and they have an experience that delights them. Uh, and I love sustainable kind of long-term relationships i don't like waste uh, you know i i i don't want a product that's sort of ephemeral and I, I feel like sort of integrity and authenticity and transparency are important it's like okay how, how can i kind of have those things in my life and you know ultimately i think the the easiest although not uh least painful way is to start up and try and do your own thing uh, which, which is, which is what I did. And, and they, they sort of became company values and, and indeed my values were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to build these guidelines around what we do. Let's, let's start doing stuff. Um, that, that was really the catalyst for it. So you decided you wanted to start your own thing. Yes. That was the catalyst. And then how did you decide what that thing was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was completely out of my hands in the end. Um, I, all through my career, I had been building software and fiddling with things. Um, you know, I was building ActiveX controls. I don't know if anybody knows what they are anymore. <laughs> OC and OCX controls prior to that. Uh, you know, all sorts of desktop tools for automating stuff. Uh, th this was a bit sort of pre-mobile. But I, I had an idea of something I was going to build, which was like kind of like an IT management tool, which was entirely the wrong thing to do. But I, I was pursuing that. And in the meantime, I had got the first iPhone. And I had painstakingly copied all of my data from a beautiful Motorola Motorola Razor phone onto that, and then lost it with the with the update to iOS two, which I think I even had to pay for from memory. I think I think you had to pay for that update. Yeah, I think that one was through. I guess it wasn't the App Store, but yeah, there were, that was like the one iOS update that you paid for, like Mac software. <laughs> 
What a time. Yeah. Anyway, I, I did yeah. that and it, and it deleted all of my contacts. And uh, mm. I just thought, look, you know, I, I, I know I can get these things back. So it, it, essentially I wrote, I think it was originally Perl, possibly Python. Uh, I built a script to pull data out of iPhone backups because I thought, hey, there's, you know, I, I knew iTunes was making these backups. Mm. There wasn't really a practical way to use them. Uh, so I did that. And then there was an update to iOS 2.1 very soon after. And again, it, it erased my phone. Um, so I thought, look, I, you know, this is affecting me. I'm sure it's affecting other people. So I, so I put the script online uh, on my blog at the time. Just for free. Yeah, just, just for free. And, and, and actually, it was Python because I, I then started to get emails pretty much immediately saying, what is a Python and can you help me <laughs> get my data back? Uh, so I was like, ah, that's a scary uh, email to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I would, you know, very rapidly, I was getting 20 to 20 to 30 of these a night. And oh my goodness, I was, I was still in, in the last startup and, you know, I liked replying to them. I liked, I liked helping people. I, 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 I couldn't just ignore it, but it wasn't sustainable. So after a couple of weeks of you know, late nights, I had this brainwave. It was like, oh, why don't I charge people money for this? So I rewrote it in uh, C Sharp and I realized I could, I could compile that C Sharp with Mono uh, and make it run on a Mac as well. That's what I was about to ask. You wrote it in C Sharp to run on a Mac to extract iPhone backups made by iTunes. Well, well, uh, but yeah, I guess Mono was around at the time. Because then I could run it on Linux. I could run it on Windows. I, I, could, I could do all of the platforms. Uh, oh, yeah, because iTunes was on Windows at that point. And, and I had no Objective-C. Uh, so, you know, I, I, at the time, would not have known how to build a, a native app uh, on, on the Mac side. Right. Uh, nor would I have had an idea how to build a mobile app. So I thought, look, uh, what I'll do is I'll write a desktop app so that, you know, regular people can use it, not, not some command line magic. And uh, if you send me 25 bucks with PayPal, I will compile your name into the program. So it's a, it's a one of a kind program with your name in it, a bit like an NFT, and uh, send it <laughs> you, to you. Would you say you minted their name uh, into it? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, oh, you, you know, like if, if, if I do this, you know, uh, my intention wasn't in any way to make money. It was to get rid of people. Um you know, it's like, okay, um, maybe I'm going to get one of these a week or maybe one a month. But um, And when you say get rid of people, you mean like slow down the amount of exactly. nightly uh, support email that you were trying to answer. Yeah, because I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, you, you're a technical guy. I imagine you become tech support for your extended family yep. and, and, and non-technical friends. And like, you know, I love doing it, but... When you become sort of extended tech support for the internet or people with iPhones, yeah. uh, it, it's a different story. It's a job. Yeah. yeah. So the, the the very, very short version of this is I put that up and in about 18 months, I've been sent over a million bucks. So it's like, oh, okay. Uh, it's like product market fit uh, accidentally. Yeah. What, 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 do, you, what do you do now? <laughs> um <laughs> So, so I then had to go on a journey of what do you do now? And it's like, well, okay, I, I have a company, I, I guess. It's not what I thought I was building. Uh, it's not that product. Um, do I need to focus full time on this? What what does that mean? You know, how, who, who can run a company? Do I know anyone who can run a company? Do, how does support work? Uh, <laughs> like, did you even have, this was like just hosted on your personal blog. You didn't have an incorporation or anything like that at this point? No, I mean, I, I had a name for uh, the company that I thought I was sorting out, that I thought I was setting up, and it was incorporated, uh, and that was Reincubate. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I just put it up there, but, but that, I think, I think the messaging on the site at the time was kind of my work helping people with their startups. So it's like a kind of startup consultancy. Uh, yeah. Consulting kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I was just figuring out, you know, how to make that move into product. So yeah, I didn't have any choice at all. Um, <laughs> the choice, it, ha- it just it happened was, to yeah. you, you could say. I was pulled into it. I was pulled into it. Interesting. Where did the name reincubate come from? Um, it came from an afternoon sitting by the river, trying to come up with trying to come up with a great name. Uh, and so I'm romantic. Not, <laughs> I'm not sure it's a great name. You know, I like the re because I thought it's green, it's environmental. Uh, I was interested in you know venture incubation, the idea not of so much of venture capital, but of helping people build and like working. Oh at yeah, one point that makes with, sense with entrepreneurs who were looking to come up with an idea, and I w- and I would sort of help them figure out the tech part. And and you know this was 2007, so this was sort of when Y Combinator and BetaWorks were starting to happen. And I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, maybe I could do do something sort of similar. And and the answer is I couldn't. Um, so, so that's that's the name, and yeah, I mean it's an okay name, but it, it's ten digits. Maybe it sounds a bit technical. Maybe it sounds a bit medical. But th- there we go. <laughs> okay, so your first product. What was that? What was the name of that then? So, or did it have a name? Was it? Uh, I mean, talking about names. So the, the product uh, was and is still called iPhone Backup Extractor. Um, okay, which that's is what in, I was going to ask because that's what it's called on your website now. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's a great name. In many ways, it's a very unhelpful name. Well, it's, I guess it's, it's pretty clear what it does. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so people know what it does. And that was very helpful for SEO. You know, we didn't cynically choose that yeah. name for SEO. We chose it because it described the product, but you know, it, it is a name. Not that with, that would be, uh, cynical to be fair. No, no, no. Um, but of course it, the name is possibly quite limiting in, 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 you know, a, a, as the product came to do other things, it's like, Hey, why is yeah. iPhone backup extractor doing this or that or the other? <laughs> That's when it becomes a acronym, which, you right. know, just so that it can contain other things. And then it, the acronym is a meaningless acronym. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so after that, I mean, looking at your product list, you also have a BlackBerry backup extractor, a DMG extractor. Were those sort of your attempts to like figure out where to grow from there? Yeah. So I, I think I would say at that time, MacPaw were peers of ours. Uh, and so I was looking to, you know, what they were doing. I, I, I mean, possibly they might have been looking to what to what we were doing as well. But but there are a few other companies like that. And, and the question in my mind was, okay, do you do you go big on one thing in the way that they did with with say Clean My Mac, Clean My PC? Yeah. Or or do you explore sideways? Uh, and I, I had a lot to learn about focus and a lot to learn about the, you know the real cost of of scaling engineering organizations and the real cost of how you execute with very high quality um so yeah we we, we explored building uh, a set of other products and i continued and have still continued to sort of build secret squirrel projects on the side to scratch an itch Partly because you know that the team don't let me commit uh, anymore; they they reject all my pull requests. Um, <laughs> but you, you know, I just like making stuff. So uh, you know, I, I was making things every now and then. We came up with one that worked, and, and and that would become a product. How quickly did you start expanding the team? I guess it was probably less daunting to you since you had sort of worked in all these sort of uh, startup environments before, where that was probably a common thing. Yeah, it was still a big transition. I, I. I 
I never thought I could run a company. I, I assumed that was sort of an occupation that was reserved for a different type of person that wasn't available or accessible to me. Uh, but it, it turns out I can, you know, it, it, it can be done. Uh, as I said, I was, I was in a, 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 another startup at the time that was very demanding. So I had reached out to a former colleague and he, he sort of steered what became the business for the first year or so full time. Uh, and we went to uh, something that was like Upwork. Uh, I forget what it was called at the time, but we we used that to find someone to help us uh, with customer support mm. uh, because you know there's a lot of that coming in, and, and so we we sort of built up a team of contractors. Uh, so I mean, it didn't it didn't take long before there were maybe three or four people. I think that happened within the first year, I'd say. And what was the main focus? Because uh, looking at your website, it I always have gotten the impression that a big part of what you guys do is. Uh, is like documentation and presentation and uh, guides and stuff like that. Was that a major focus for you from the get-go? I mean, it sounds like one of your first hires was a tech support person. Yeah, we, you know, we have never outsourced support. Uh, I, I talked before about the desire to delight users and the desire to be authentic and transparent. And, and so we felt, you know, we, we should be, we should all be experts with this product. Uh, and writing the content was really, I, I mean, I'm a sucker for talking about this stuff. I just, I love it. I love the space. I love the problems. I love the, the solutions. I, I, I think, you know, the, the content that I've written, I'm sure is too discursive, but, uh, and, and I don't think, I don't think people are as much like me as I sometimes think they are in terms of their joy for it. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I just wanted to help. And, you know, I, I, with that product, that there's a, a broad set of things that people are searching for and a broad set of problems that people have. You know, one tangential example of that is we have a very popular guide on how what pairs of Ray-Bans or sunglasses work with Face ID. Um, just because, you know, people would write into us, hey, you guys know a lot about iPhones and backups and, and how to make them work and iPhone security. Can you tell me about sunglasses? So like, okay, I'll go and buy a load of sunglasses. I'll, I'll do some writing about it. <laughs> Uh, and is that is that literally just uh, because it's fun, or is there a, a? I'm not not to be cynical, but is there sort of a like business reason why that would make sense to do these sort of totally tangential uh, guides and blog posts like that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's certainly a business element to it. Uh, you know, I suppose it helps with brand recognition. Uh, it helps us perform well in search results. You know, if, if a bunch of people mm, yeah. over a period of time have problems with their iPhones and they come to see that they can, you know, get answers to those problems from a website called Reincubate and, huh, we, we see they have some other products, then that certainly isn't unhelpful. And th there's a whole bunch of stuff in terms of SEO where, you know, it, it, if you have a site that already has some weight and is seen as authoritative and expert, you, you know, it, it's a lot easier for us to launch a new product on that site than it would be for us to launch a new product on it on its own domain. And that's that's one of my sort of bugbears when I when I watch indies who launch different products on different domains. I just think don't 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 do it. Pick a singular brand and ship ship your product on that website. It doesn't matter what the singular brand is, but. You know, if natural mm. search is going to be a driver for you, it's so easy not to go from zero to one each time. You know, if you've yeah. already got a site that's one or one and a half, stick it on that. That's really fascinating to think through too, because your your like customer acquisition story is is much more probably search driven than 
a lot of indie apps that I would have talked to where you're going out and finding customers, uh, your general customer base is probably, generally speaking, somebody who has a very specific problem that they're very specifically trying to solve now. And so like they are looking actively and you want to be in the places where they're looking. Yes. And so being having strong SEO and being seen as an authority that's trustworthy as well, not like... Um, because the space that you live in is filled with scams. Right. 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 Uh, <laughs> there's taking advantage of this sort of, like I said, the people that are coming to you, they have a problem. Like they lost data or they're trying to solve some sort of usually data problem or something. And like uh, sort of they're panicky. So you can take advantage of those people. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, having a presence that is authoritative is probably really important. I, I hadn't really ever thought through that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, it is, as I said, it's very powerful for search, and you're certainly right that that product is driven by search, or, or that search is a good channel for it. That's not true of all of our products. I mean, Camo is not a search-driven product, but, but still, yeah. if you have a brand and a journalist or potential partner sees your site and is like, hey, th these guys weren't born yesterday, you know, this isn't, this isn't a... You know, they have an established reputation. They have some reviews. They have people have been talking about them for a period of time. It's just you're building that sort of brand equity, which is just hugely valuable. And, and it, it's like a it's like a flywheel, right? The thing that you did yeah. five years ago is helpful in terms of the things that you're doing now, uh, and, and that's certainly been true. You know, we, we we took advantage of that with Camo. It was it was very powerful. Yeah, and before we get to Camo, one thing on your site that. Uh I'm really curious about is that it says that Queen Elizabeth recognized uh, you for some sort of like <laughs> business honor. Now I'm I'm from America, so I'm pretty ignorant on a lot of these things. But that sounds exciting. It, yeah, it, it it really was. Um, so the the company has won the Queen's Award for Enterprise, which is the highest uh, official business honor in the UK. Uh, and I have I have indeed met met the Queen uh, as a consequence oh, wow. of that. Um, it, it gives us. Here's a good one for the Americans. Uh, it, it gives us the right to fly a particular sort of royal flag over our headquarters, uh, really, which, which otherwise <laughs> would not be would not be allowed. Yeah, <laughs> that I love. I just adore uh, weird <laughs> little things like that. I think that's amazing. So that so you do you have a physical like headquarters? I'm sure right now. It's a little hard to use, but do you have a physical space? Yeah, so so we uh, we did, and we've kept it, although no one's been in it for uh, a couple of years. Yeah. You know, we, we've taken a decision to go remote, but um, we've kept that space because we, you know, we, we figure it it may well come in handy. Although we won't sort of blow a whistle and say, "All right, everyone's everyone's got to come back to their desks." Yeah, but the flag is, or at least was, uh, flying over that space. Then it, it was, yes, yes. That's, that's so awesome. <laughs> All right, so Camo. So you've had Reincubate going for at this point over ten years. Yes, and from the outsider's perspective, at least, uh, the pandemic happens. The whole world moves into uh, Zoom or video conferencing land, and then Camo, this product that helps with a very specific problem again that lots of people are having, which is I want to look good in my new way that all my colleagues actually see me, comes out. Well. Was that a response to the pandemic or was this something that you'd been working on for a while? It looks good in hindsight, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have been a really fast turnaround. Yeah. Um, 
Well, so, you know, we, we'd had ups and downs with iPhone backup extractor and we had, we have what I might call sort of like a, a, a near Sherlocking with it, which made things quite difficult. Um, and I had continued to build these skunk works projects where, you know, I'd take an idea and we'd experiment it. And I'd, I'd got quite far in building an MDM product because I'd, I'd, I'd sort of been looking at w what we could do in that space because we were sort of adjacent to it. We had quite a bit of familiarity with it. And I felt that there were a bunch of challenges in MDM that weren't being properly solved in a way that I thought made sense. I thought I thought you could go about it a completely different way. And this is for businesses managing phones that are like uh, connected to their network or, or whatever. Yes. Although I thought I could probably pull that down to sort of SMEs and maybe even consumers who, who had a bunch of kit. And, and so I went quite far with that um, and shelved it just before Apple announced that they were buying Fleetsmith, uh, who were sort of the probably the the leading and the best best thought through new wave MDM product. So okay. if we'd committed to that and launched this product, it would have been You would have been going head to head with massive disaster. Apple backed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was the wrong thing to do. So we'd we'd made the decision not to launch that, fortunately, just just beforehand to, to not proceed further with that. And I was looking around at other ideas. And this was one of them. And so that got pulled forward because I, I was very agitated about what I was hearing about the pandemic. And I think we, we sent people home pretty early. I think we sent them home in, in late February. Uh, and, you know, the, the team all had lovely uh, Mac equipment, new Macs, new PCs, new webcams, but everyone kind of looked bad. And it, it just frustrated yeah. me. You know, I, I, I'm sure you get the feeling I'm hands on. I like talking to the developers. I was, I was, <laughs> feeling lonely and isolated and like I, I wanted to kind of eliminate as many barriers between me and my colleagues as possible. So it was like, okay, what can we do? We buy web better webcams. That, that doesn't really work. Uh, and I got talking to a bunch of photographers about how you get great video quality. And they were like, oh, you know, you, you get these DSLR cameras, you know, you get this thing, it's three, four grand. It's incredible. That's what you want to do. That's what everyone does. And it's like, yeah, but... And you need like a cam link and you have problems with overheating, you have problems with cables and your desk is, has have a tripod on it. Uh, and I got to thinking about iPhones because of course everyone had one and I knew that Lady Gaga made like music videos with iPhones and they're broadcast quality, which webcams aren't. It's like, you know, we can do something here. And there were one or two projects that sort of did it, but did it in such a bad way as as for it not to be clear that this was possible because they were high latency, there was a lot of lag, they weren't very reliable, there weren't mm. controls on the Mac, uh, and they didn't work with a whole bunch of apps. They didn't work with stuff like Zoom uh, or WebEx. So essentially, I just set out with um, a contractor to say, can, you know, can we build something like this in six weeks and will it be ridiculous? And not only were we not sure it could be done, and the whole thing could be a waste of time. But I was also very self-conscious about whether this was a, a stupid idea that didn't make any sense. Um, but it kind of came together just in time. We, we we got this kind of very rough early build in March. And it's like, okay, hey, this is magical. And like, I want to use this for all my calls. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it just pulled together at the right time. And there was a lot of luck. There was a lot of 
hard work. There's a lot of trying. It just, it just, it just fell together. So the the first version of this was an iPhone to a Mac yes. specifically. Yes. And then were you targeting like one um, like chat client, like just Zoom or WebEx or something, or were you trying to work with everything right away? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was targeting me and my problems very selfishly. <laughs> uh, and, and we were using Zoom. So it's like, can we make it work in, in Zoom? Uh, and I thought, you know, as we get into this, this, this is going to be a, a very hard engineering challenge. Uh, what I didn't realize is that there was also like a, a very hard challenge around getting the platforms to accept and work with us because they just removed support for virtual cameras, which is the mechanism that Camo uses to essentially emulate a camera. Zoom did? On your device. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So they blocked virtual cameras. Uh, and what they did after that, so essentially what I did was I got on the warpath and I started phoning up Americans and getting myself out there so just general any american you could find any american any I phone could find. number that started with one exactly <laughs> yeah get that plus one in there and, and eventually <laughs> through through all that you know i probably shouldn't have started with one i should have started with z but i ended up with you know eric yuan at zoom and, and talking to him and they put in a white list where it's like if you give us your developer id your developer certificate id and we like you uh we will make sure Zoom specifically lets your plugin work. So I think the first iteration of that, there were seven apps that they let in uh, and we oh, were one wow. of them. So I, I kind of won this piece dividend for everyone else in the space. Um, and then after we got Zoom, I mean, Zoom went from that to a couple of months later, essentially letting any virtual camera work. Um, and then I had to repeat the same trick with Cisco to make it work on WebEx. And, and that took a little bit longer. And Microsoft came around with Teams and, and Google were totally cool about it the whole way through. But there was, there, was a, there was a real kind of having a lot of English people phone you up and ask you to do stuff and kind of beg you. Like that, that was a big, intense part of building camera. Yeah, that's okay. So this episode hasn't come out yet. Um, I'm finishing editing it right now as we record. But uh I did an episode with Ryan Jones uh, of Flighty yeah, fame, yeah. and he talked a lot about, you know, his role is, is not as a developer and was trying to articulate the things that he could bring to the table. And a big part of it is exactly what you're talking about. It's like this sort of uh, business relationship thing that in, especially in the indie scene, but even at big companies, when you're at the like developer level, I think you sometimes forget how important uh, relationships and conversations and trying to make these deals happen uh, is to getting an actual technical outcome to work. Yeah. Um, so that it's really cool to hear that because that kind of lines right up with that same story. I'd, I'd done a series of dub dubs in 2016, 2017, trying to get Apple to support us with what we were doing with iCloud. And, and I remember being on the field uh, at the end of Dub Dub for the gig, and a group of Apple engineers that I didn't recognize coming up and saying, "Hey, look, it's the iCloud guy." And we're thinking, "Oh, you know, all of my all of my being a nuisance over twelve months pays off. They know, they know I'm the iCloud. Yeah. They're, they're not going <laughs> to give me what I want, but they they know who I am." <laughs> There's at least a, a established relationship, which right. does seem important. Right. Yeah. For sure. That's cool. So, okay. So the the initial version then was Zoom. Uh, yep. at least targeting Zoom, Mac, and iPhone. And in the lead up to the launch for this, um, did you have like an extensive beta group or how are you testing to try and make sure that this was sort of solid? 
um, before the launch. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it became the tool that we used in-house uh, and I spent a lot of time on it. So, you know, I, I think I think my record was a 13-hour Zoom call. I, I did a, a lot of calls and we used it very heavily. We opened up a beta and I thought, you know, maybe we'll get a couple of hundred people on it. Uh, but we got thousands. I mean, we, 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 and that was publicly pushed out, right? Like as a official thing, it wasn't just friends or something. No, it was on Twitter. So I, I don't think we even put anything on it, uh, really about the site, uh, really on the site. I don't think we pushed it, but it was, it was me kind of tweeting about it. Um, and we just got blown over. We, you know, we, we started to run into problems with test flight because we got to 5,000 testers and we're like, we can't take any more. And then, you know, we started saying no, but the list got up to 6,000. Uh, and then we're like, okay, why don't, you know, let, let's see if people want to, if people want to buy it in a pre-sale. Let's, let's run a, why don't we run a pre-sale? That was a very 2020 thing to do. And, um, yeah, people bought it. So we're like, okay. Okay, this is this is going somewhere. That was that was a really big moment. So that pre-sale, um, that it was still considered beta. Then I guess is yes. what you were calling it. We, we, we like, hey, this thing's coming out of beta. We're, we're going to launch it, you know, next month, something like that. I think we're aiming for May or June. If you buy it now, it's going to be cheaper than what we're going to sell it for when we come out of beta. And that was that was true. I think we I think we we doubled or put fifty percent on the price when we when we came out. So did and there was huge uptake. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's been, I guess it's been a little over a year and we'll talk about it here in a second, but there's been a lot that's even happened in that, in that year. Um, but leading up to the launch itself then, was there, was there a big marketing push, uh, that you were doing in some capacity or was it mostly Twitter relationships with journalists who had been on the beta or whatever? And then that sort of organic growth as, you know, people are on calls and they look really good all of a sudden. <laughs> people are like, how are you doing that? Yeah. So at, at that point, we had uh, zero marketing staff. Um, we still have zero marketing staff, but we're in the process of hiring one now and we work with a number of agencies. Um, but yeah, that, that was really Twitter driven. And what happened essentially is that it was, you know, a lot of it was kind of driven by just people sharing their experiences. I think it's a product that is hard to believe until you see the difference. Because you could say, hey, you know, this is going to be so much better than your webcam. But I think until you actually see that, you don't, you know, you don't feel it. So, so you know, we have a lot of, I mean, all of our users are VIPs, but we, we have a lot of kind of users that people would, would recognize. It's very profile heavy. Um, if you, you know, name a, a, a sort of a big person in tech or an investor or an author, or a comedian or a TV personality, like they probably have it. They're probably using it. Um, I had an email from Stephen Fry the other day, and it's quite nice every now and then to, you know. Oh, my goodness. My, my mother doesn't really understand what I do. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to explain, but it's like, hey, you know, Stephen Fry's emailed me, you know. And so now she's like, oh, what does, what's Stephen got to say recently? And it's, like, it, it's helpful, at least, for explaining to my parents what it is I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh those breaks into the mainstream uh that's yeah, that's really really cool. And the other thing we haven't talked about at all is so you did start taking payments, but you do have a free tier. So this yes. is a a subscription for the main app, but then there is a free tier. And the free tier uh there's features that are locked away, but one of the bigger things is there's a little watermark in the bottom corner that says exactly what the app is. Yep. And I can say from experience that 
playing around with the free tier, uh, people immediately ask, what is that thing? Like, it's just a really natural, organic way of like spreading the word. Was that intentional or was that just you were looking for ways to make the upgrade, you know, more worth it or whatever? Yeah, it, it, it was very intentional. Um, we've never offered trials of our products and that's been a fairly strong opinion because I, you know, personally, I don't like installing trial software. Like I, I, I don't want that thing where I might be on a list and maybe I'm going to get nagged to buy it later. And mm, yeah, I, yeah. I don't only want it for two weeks. So I've always been strongly of the opinion that our product should deliver something free in perpetuity for users that's valuable. And that's a very different challenge for different products. But I figure with Camo, you know, hey, why don't we let people have a whole lot of stuff uh, that they can use, you know, on an ongoing basis? And, and one of our little secrets is you can turn that watermark off in the free version. If you're going to do it, it'll let you do it. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't mean, realize we, that. Don't, we don't shout about it. But, it, 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 you know, a lot of people... Uh, maybe don't realize that, but you know, I, I think what they're after are the other things that are gated by the pro version, which is the higher video quality. You get up to 1080p instead of 720, and you get to, to fiddle with 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 all of the controls and, and have that power. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe I would say this, but I really think there's a lot of value in that free product because if you're using Zoom, in most cases for group calls, it won't transmit more than 720p. So, right. you know, the upgrade to 1080p is going to look great for you, but Zoom's just going to transcode that back down again. Uh, it's not It's not going to make a lot of difference on a Zoom call if Zoom is transmitting it at that level. And of course, over time, they'll transmit higher. But, but there's a core audience that high quality video conferencing is a very big deal. And immediately that value proposition is like, this is a no brainer. Like there is, there is a group of people where that, we're already like playing around with setting up SLRs and doing this whole bit. And for that group of people, this is a like way cheaper product. It's way easier to use. Um, and the end results often are, are a lot better. I mean, we've all seen Apple's presentations and all the different reviews about how, you know, dynamic lighting situations and everything. iPhones are just, they're incredible. Like there's huge teams at Apple dedicated to making this incredible. And so you're sort of unlocking this for that group of people. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was expecting that people would, would move from webcams to this and move from 4K webcams to this. I wasn't expecting that people would move from DSLRs, but they have done. And like, you know, Ben Sandowski of, of Halide sent a, a, a very kind tweet a couple of months ago. He was like, hey, this is, I, I've always thought, I, you know, Clearly, he's building an iPhone photography app, but he's got all the DSLRs and he was using one. And now he's like, hey, I'm doing this with my iPhone with camo. Like, oh, okay, nice. Yeah, that's that's a that's a high praise. Um, and actually, that's who I recorded with yesterday. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear that, that theoretically, if I have my timings right, episode should already be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm in very good company. Yeah, yeah. And like the thing that's been really cool is seeing the amount of people talking about using it for when they do TV spots. Mm. Um, that seems to be a common use case. And again, it's these like viral sort of tweets where it's these well-known people that are like, look at how I'm using this simple setup that you can use yourself at home in even a free capacity that I'm using and I'm on CNBC or whatever. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I think a, a big learning that that there is is that it's not it's not about resolution because you don't know 
what's going to happen to the resolution through System X or System Y or being yeah. broadcast over this. It's about the quality, the image sensor, and the processing around that. And so, you know, you can look good in, you know, 480 by 360 if your camera's handling light well and it's kind of matching your skin and the light behind you isn't being blown out and the blacks and the whites aren't funny. And, it, you know, that, that image quality is nothing to do with the resolution. And an iPhone does it spectacularly well in a very broad range of situations. Yeah. And even like the, the cheaper iPhones, um, it's, it's really across the whole line. At this point, almost every iPhone supported still is just a really exceptional camera system. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool sort of, it's almost like you built this glue that unlocks this really awesome hardware, uh, and software together. And, yeah, it just, it makes, it, it's perfect for the environment that we all live in right now. Um, and sort of to that end, it is so perfect that uh, you had mentioned earlier that you had sort of gotten a little Sherlocked. Mm. Um, is that, or was that a, a major fear? Because your first version of this was an iPhone and a Mac. And this thing was taking off. Clearly users wanted it. Yep. Was there sort of a fear in the back of your mind that Apple was going to come in with the sort of system integrated version of this that you couldn't quite do because they didn't expose all those APIs? It's, it, it's a complicated one. I mean, you know, will Apple do more in this space? Yes. You know, you can get access to what is on your phone screen remotely in recorder mode with QuickTime. So you, you can pull an iPhone in there, but, you know, that's not going to give you the resolution of the camera. Right. Um, I, I imagine Apple will, over time, do more, but I do not think Apple will build a product like this. And I think fundamentally the value we provide is not the ability simply to get uh, that camera signal onto your computer. I think it's the control that we offer around that of it so that you can mount the phone and forget about it. You can remote control it. You can use overlays. You can have presets. You can have different sorts of scene and so on and so forth. So I, I think, you know, you, you talked to, to Matt Rongi of, of Astropad a while ago, and they've sort of been on a journey where they've had concentrated platform risk. And yeah. they've, they've moved to dilute it. And, you know, we're, we're very similar in that, you know, camo is not just available on uh, iOS and Mac. So, you know, Apple are both very valuable and, and very important. Um but also potentially very challenging with things they may do in the future. But I, you know, I, I think if they do this, what what it will do is it will bring a lot of awareness mm -hmm. to the fact that you can do this, and I think it will make people, you know, just just more interested in the space. And so I think being positioned then as the primary way to do this properly and have that power, you know, it may actually be a boost for us if Apple do that. Yeah, I, I mean. That's where I was sort of leading because uh, that's exactly what I feel like. I feel like if they were to do it, it would be the most basic version of it, um, which maybe would cut into your free use case. But the people that would then be made aware of whatever that version is and want it to do one extra thing are now going to seek out that solution. And so you guys would yeah. be sitting there ready for it. Um, and like you just said, you're not just iPhone and Mac anymore, right? No, no. And, you know, we, we have a lot of uh, paying customers and users in Apple, and they are incredibly kind to us uh, and supportive in many different ways. Um, I, I must admit, I, I do tend to try and look up who they are when they buy it, because I was like, ah, you know, is this, 
Yeah. <laughs> is, is this all a There's a little bit of apprehension. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I didn't mean that as a diss at Apple either, uh, you know. It's just, you know, in a completely non-cynical way, it's just, uh, it, it was just such a, like, perfect product market fit. It just seemed like such an obvious thing that you had this incredible hardware sitting with you all the time not being used. Um, and then this, especially then, uh, it's gotten a tiny bit better, terrible webcam that was built into most of our MacBook Pros. And, you know, you're looking at this like, why can't I just use that? Yeah. Um, and so it seems like something that you could see them having a, a basic version of in the future. But but they're certainly not going to support other platforms. No. And I'm curious, one, what was the main driver for you doing that? I assume... As soon as it launched, you got a million people asking for it on Windows or Android. Um, and how how did you go about testing this? Because I can't even comprehend dealing with that much different hardware. So, yeah, part of that was about platform risk. And it's very complicated because you, you don't necessarily know that you can make the same model work on other platforms with other types of users. Because if you look at our users on Windows, their use case and the sort of apps that they want to use camera with are very, very different. Uh, and there's a different demographic and a different ge geographical distribution. Um, I really feel for Roostum and Dave at Agile Bits or One Password, you know, where there's been that kind of pushback against uh, being, I mean, whether or not they're, I, I mean, I, People say that one password aid is 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 non-native, and you know that there's some feedback on that. You know, we have for ten years been shipping uh, native apps on Windows uh, and native apps on Mac, and it is a crushing, awful, thankless thing to be doing. Uh, I ha have this opinion that I think people want to use native software on both platforms, and I think there are benefits that come from it, but. Honestly, we could do stuff four times as fast and at half the price uh, if we just sort of went to Electron. But anyway, we, we had this point where uh, last year we we're like, right, we're approaching this decision again. We need to do this multi-platform. How are we going to do it? Uh, and, you know, you, you can use Electron. You can do, uh, you, you can take the AstroPad approach and be like, okay, we're going to maybe have some rust in the core and then kind of build native around that or you can try and do the whole stack. Uh, and where we are is doing the whole stack. So from an effort perspective, it's as bad as you think. You know, we are proper Swift the whole way on macOS and iOS. We're proper Kotlin on Android, and we are C Sharp the whole way on uh, Windows. Um, and what was, your, what was your reason for choosing that? Um, we had experience doing it. And we had the capability to do that. Uh, I, I think much as it's difficult to kind of build separately on these platforms, to some extent, I think that's easier than making something cross-platform or, or, you know, non-native that users love, right? Like, you know, okay, let, let, let's spend a lot of money and do it with Electron or let's spend a lot of money and do it with Rust. Well, we haven't done that Rust core library and I think that would be right. new to us. And, and maybe that's important. And maybe that is something that we should do in future. And it's it's certainly something we think and talk about. Um, but I don't know. I would say I struggle with Electron apps. And I, 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 f I felt like a big part of what people loved about Camo 
was that it did appear to be native and it did appear to be kind of highly polished and it fit Apple's design guidelines and it felt like it was part of the system. And I wanted to do the same thing on Windows and I wanted to do the same thing on Android. Um, so, you know, was that economically the right decision? I, I don't know. From a product perspective, I'm happy I did it. So at this point, you're dealing with, uh, you've sort of got three things that are multiplying all of your scenarios here. You have Mac and Windows. You have uh, the phone hardware itself, which on iOS is at least pretty similar between everything. On Android is not. Uh, I mean, maybe the APIs make that a little smoother than it, it used to be, but there's still a dizzying array of hardware that you're probably dealing with on Android. And then, and then you have the actual clients themselves, uh, Zoom, Teams, WebEx. You don't have like a huge team with hundreds of QA testers that can basically spend all day trying all of these variations all the time. What, what's your main approach for like <laughs> dealing with that? <laughs> Good, good lord. Um, Other than just crying uh, in yeah, a corner. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of pain. I mean, I, I think I think it helps that we, you know, we have a core team who've, who've you know, I've I've had the pleasure of working alongside for a long time. So this cross platform development isn't new for us. You know, we do have uh, a lot of testing that goes on, um, and and we, you know, we, we have experience doing this before. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, your overview of product, I, you know, I'm sure you've you've learned with that some of the challenges uh, around iOS and how, you know, hey, all, all iPhones kind of look the same, but like you you can't run a bunch of these operations on an iPhone 5s's GPU because like right. for some reason it's worse than the CPU, and you know, then there are these issues on iOS 12 that you have to be very wary of. Um, and we've got this whole thing where because we support, uh, we want to support older devices, it's like whenever they announce something new at DubDub, it's like, oh, great, we can use that in five years' time. I, I, I look forward yeah, to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that ch- people always talk about the kind of the diversity of Android and, and how there are so many different devices, and, and that is true. But I, I think it's surprisingly also true of iOS and Macs. It's like, you know, we, we, we've got a bunch of people in Germany who are running, you know, macOS, what is it? Is it 10, 12? It's something incredibly old and it's on like a dual core chip. And it's like your chip has only got two cores. Like you've got one core for Zoom and then you've got the other core for the kind of the thing that you're showing on Zoom or your web browser. It's like, how do you do do processing on that? So (laughs) yeah, I mean, there is a lot of crazy stuff. and, And then we find there are some products that consume video that like, because webcams don't change resolution normally, like your webcam is your webcam, whereas camera yeah. lets you change resolution or change aspect ratio or orientation, you know, they don't like things like that happening to them. So there's been a whole mm, bunch of like testing. midstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, if, for instance, I think it's GoToWebinar, you know, you can, some of our users take their phones and move around with them and may shift from landscape to portrait orientation because they yeah. might be showing off a workout or a gym class or something like that. And if you change that aspect ratio on GoToWebinar, it gets very unhappy. So then behind the scenes, we have to do a whole bunch of things to try and, you know, m- make that not happen and kind of enforce letterboxing or restrict the change. So, I mean, it's just hard work. I'm afraid I haven't really got a smarter answer than that. Well, I guess, I guess then the question is, um, like that specific example, was that something that you found on your own? 
through some sort of rigorous QA testing? Or is that, um, it, I, I don't want to use this term derogatory, but like, uh, are the users sort of part of your testing group um, in terms of you've got to be getting so much feedback because it's kind of a complicated thing to set up. It's not like yes. you open the app and this is the thing. Everybody has a different setup. Um, and so I guess, how are you, how are you screening and dealing with the amount of support you're probably getting to like filter out what is something we need to work on and what is something we just need to educate people better on? So, so we, we have a list of north of 40 apps that we support. Some of them we support natively and some of them we have integrations for. Uh, and essentially, if it's something that isn't on our, hey, Camo's compatible with this list, you know, it might work. And, you know, as you've observed, this is a space where a lot of stuff is going on. So every week yeah. we hear about a new system that I'd never heard of before. And it's like, hey, does, does Camo work with this? I don't know. Let's let's find <laughs> out. So, so yeah, th th there's a very kind of long tail of stuff that users write in about. You know, does this thing that's only available in in Morocco for people in education support camera. We'll go on a journey. We'll find out with you. Let's jump on a call. Um, yeah, that's a lot of fun doing that. Do you find, do you do that a lot? You get on individual one-on-one -on -one calls with people uh, to sort of dive into something? Yeah, my, my colleagues and I do. Um, I spend, you know, definitely north of half of all of my days on Zoom calls. Uh, and I find it's very powerful to talk to users to understand what they want to use the product for and how they use it and the challenges they have. And, and uh, yeah, I, f I find that's a very helpful steer. So I, I do a lot of talking. Interesting. Yeah, it's just it, in my head, I'm imagining the volume has to be so high for the amount of people coming in. Um, it, but I, I guess this kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning is one of your earlier investments was support and and dealing with uh both on the sort of preemptive support creating guides and uh having a good strong presence of a website that can hopefully head off a lot of the like similar problems before they become a support request yeah. and then the infrastructure for dealing with the requests as they come in and so i i guess that surprisingly really plays directly into camo as a product and and how that works yeah, I mean, the, the team is uh, kind of in the low 20s in terms of the number of, of, of people uh, who are kind of directly in the business. And then we work with a number of, of agencies to support us with things that, that aren't support. Um, and as I said, we, we don't have any marketing people on the team. So there's a lot of support. There's a lot of engineering. That's awesome. Man, so I guess the last thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about was uh, a recent announcement that you did, which sort of plays into possibly your uh, the conversation we had earlier about creating relationships, is you guys announced a Snap integration uh, that sort of has lots of fun little uh, delight things that go with it, which is what you were talking about with your earlier software. Yep. Um, what was what was the journey that led up to, to that happening? Well, I am... Um you know, with, with Camo, I've, I've, I've pulled at this thread where I found uh, a problem, a problem in, in audio video. And the more I've pulled at it, the more I found issues and the more I think there's, there's a huge kind of problem space that's unresolved around image quality, around streaming capabilities, around how you can broadcast yourself, uh, God forbid, around the metaverse, uh, around the UI <laughs> and, and, and the kind of UX. And 
I'm very interested in how people explore their identity and sense of self. And I, I'm not big into fakery and anonymity, but I'm very interested in that, that sort of sense of identity stuff. And one of the things I've seen is people, I think, have been quite interested in virtual backgrounds. Um, but I'm very interested in the science and a, a body of data around this stuff. And that suggests that virtual backgrounds aren't good for you. And indeed, there's a lot of stuff around being on calls all day that isn't good for you. Um, but with AR, I think there are other things you can do to make your calls more interesting or more accessible. Um, or just outright more healthy that we can do. And so our partnership with Snap was the first step in exploring that journey. Uh, and what we're trying to do is, you know, th there's a lot of novelty in AR, in different mobile applications, of course, in Snapchats itself. But I haven't really seen a lot of people building AR techniques to help people with work and to help people with communication. And so it's a first step towards that. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's been very well received. We have a, a lot more to do there. Uh, and a, a big part of how we positioned it was trying to guide users through that journey. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to ship a load of kind of pirate hats and making your cheeks rosy. I wanted to ship a bunch of things that would show the different kind of types of direction we could go in with AR and get them thinking about how it might help them. And one of the many challenges here is there isn't a good way for AR creators to monetize their work. So the lenses that they make and the experiences they make tend to be quite low cost. You sort of have these ones that Snapchat make themselves, right. which are very polished, but then you have things that are more trivial. And of course, to make this work, we need to make a mechanism whereby, you know, lens creators and AR creators are rewarded for a significant investment in building an experience or AR tool. Uh, and that's, Or they won't. Right, right. Yeah, and, it, and it's back to putting freckles on your face, you know, which is cool for some <laughs> use cases. But I, I, I think there's something else we can pursue there. You see a um, a utility there that the the business model doesn't support, but there's there's something there that could happen that could make um, our video conferencing world. You know, I'm like a fully remote employee now, right? So the way I interact with my colleagues is through a camera lens and a screen all day. And uh, and you, you see a way of making that a better, more positive experience for people through this technology, potentially. Yes, I, I think I think you can depersonalize or reduce the fidelity. Um, I think that can be very helpful when it comes to Zoom fatigue. And, and I think you can do other things to, you know, maybe give yourself a break from such intense and personal contact over video. Uh, I mean, there are a series of different approaches. And, I, you know, we, we have a model and some work coming up that, that I think are going to open the doors to that. Interesting. That's that's really cool because that, you know, selfishly, that is a, something that I'm really like, it affects me a lot. Um, and so I'm I'm always interested to hear about that. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you have what you have coming uh, coming up. Okay, well, I think I think we're about at time. So uh, I want to make sure we have some time for that question that I ask everybody, which I think I did actually warn you about this time. Uh, yep. I forgot last time. And that is, uh, <laughs> what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people checking out? I, th I think you've talked to, I think you've talked to a lot of them. Uh, you, you, <laughs> I mean, with, with one man bands, or I think one man bands, you've talked to Christian Selig of Apollo. Um, yeah. I knew the app long before I knew the man. Uh, I, same. I mean, 
I, I love his XDR hijinks uh, with his monitor on, on Twitter. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think Apollo has an incredible level of depth and polish. And I think, you know, we appreciate it as indie developers, I, I, I guess. But I think a lot of users don't. And I, I think it, Apollo is just an incredible achievement. And I think his work on that is incredible. Um, I'm really into Chad Etzel. Um, I think I think that's how his surname is pronounced. He's Jazzy Chad on Twitter. Yeah, um, he's incredibly talented. Newly newly released and just yeah throwing uh, awesome ideas at the App Store. It's seemingly daily lately. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, he, he's got. A, a, I mean, clearly he's got incredible talent, not just around software. You know, he, he's a very capable man, uh, but he is building stuff in a lot of different directions, and I'm super interested in. You know his sources of inspiration and his execution. Uh, he's 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 an inspiring one. And then I think in in terms of companies, you know, I, I love the guys at Astro HQ and what they're doing. Um, they have had a journey similar to ours, and I also think they're writing code that is similar to ours. Or you know, we're, we're approaching it in kind of different directions. There's a lot of moving video around, multi-platform, yeah. low latency, close to the metal. Yeah, and he, he's been very kind and, and supportive of uh, the journey that we've been on. Um, I think David Kramer at Sentry uh, is very deserving of, of his success. Incredible execution quality on that product. Um, you know, and he's also does a lot to support the open source community. Um, I looked a lot to Panic for inspiration and still do. I love their... Uh, the annual reports, the panic reports. I, I don't know Cable, but, you know, I, I follow him and I, I read his tweets. Right, yeah, <laughs> as we all do. They're pretty inspiring. Uh, and, you know, I mean, can I cite last of all Apple's camera design team? Uh <laughs> yes. It's funny you say that. Uh, that is, like I said, the, the highlight guys uh, were on and uh, I think it was Sebastian kind of went on a thing and, and had a similar like I feel sort of almost weird saying this but and I was like yeah like that team they don't get to say their names uh, the same way but my goodness what an incredibly well executing team uh, continually over time. It's amazing it's amazing and, and of course you know some of, some of those uh, people have sort of outed themselves on, on Twitter and we know who they are and <laughs> some of them some of them we don't or aren't at liberty to say and it's interesting putting the pieces together but just what they do is amazing amazing yeah um, and, and I wouldn't have a product if it wasn't for them right like it's it's not just the product the camera app itself or the specific images that that product uh, uh, puts out but it's the platform like there's a lot happening under the scenes that aren't even used by the camera app or the photos app that are supporting teams like you or Holide or, I mean, thousands of things have been unlocked because of that uh, team. And I, it's really kind of wild to think about. I mean, Maps is a similar one, Google and Apple, mm -hmm. in terms of making a surface area that lots of things are sort of built on top of. But I think we often don't think about the camera team as a similar platform that all this other stuff is built on but it it really is and it's been transformative absolutely i'm just we're, we're we're in awe and it's always nice that you know we are doing something that i i don't think they expected to happen you know we're, we're using apis and, and frameworks in ways that you know it's permissible but it but it's not intended and it, it's just nice that they design them in such a way that while sometimes it's challenging it's 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 doable yeah yeah it really, 
That's, I think that's a really good one. So, uh, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, this was absolutely a delight. Um, it was really fun getting to talk and, and I didn't know a lot of the history pre camo of, of your company. And so, uh, that alone was just really, really fascinating. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Charlie. I've, I've really enjoyed the opportunity and, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be in each other's DMs. <laughs> I'm looking forward to yeah. that. <laughs> uh, so where can people find you and reincubate and your work? Yeah. So the best places to, to find me is probably Twitter, which is at AFIT, A-F-I-T. Uh, and yeah, if you want to find us, uh, search Camo, C-A-M-O in the app store, uh, or indeed on the internet. And it's not the camouflage result. If you get that, it's the app. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched FM. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. Mm-hmm.